Hello, friends. We're about to get the show started. But first, I want to invite you once again to take me up on the offer to chat about Halfway There. I know that you're busy. I know you've got lots of things going on. But uh, if Halfway There is part of your life, you listen to it when you're working out or in your cube or, uh, you know, on the road, wherever it is. Uh, I would love to hear from you. I promise we won't take a ton of time, but I just want to get an idea of what people find actually appealing about it and what what else I could do. So if you would, just go to halfwaytherepodcast.com slash contact, halfwaytherepodcast.com slash contact, halfwaytherepodcast.com slash contact, and I will uh, just, you can just send me an email and say, hey, I'm in, I'd love to talk to you. That's all it takes. And then I will reach out to you. We'll get it set up and get it going. Several people have already done so, and I've heard some really great feedback, definitely things that I want to take into consideration and use, and I would love to have your voice be part of it. So please take me up on this invitation. Go to halfwaytherepodcast.com slash contact and uh, reach out. Or there's always social media, Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you are. All right. Thanks a lot. Instagram. You could do it there too. Hey, let's get this show started. to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for joining me. Glad that you're here. This is going to be uh, an interesting episode. I can't wait to share this story with you. Um, Our guest today, she's an author. She's a TEDx speaker, a missionary, a traveler, an entrepreneur. She's got her hands in a lot of things. And uh, actually, she's written some books that I think are going to be really interesting to you. Um, she is Marie White. Marie, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you, Eric. I'm glad to be here. I am glad to make the connection. You and I are together in our uh, Facebook group on for Christian podcasters uh, over there, and I appreciate you being in the group. Oh, it's great. I love the people that post on there. Yeah. Some, a great group of people. Fantastic. That's how we connected. Um, I'm excited to just hear your story a little bit. I gave a brief introduction. Can you just tell us a little bit about and who you are, where God has you now, and then we'll go through your story and how you've kind of learned to walk with him. Well, now I am a different person than I was before. Um, our journey started four years ago as far as becoming the public person that I am now. And the reason that I'm on your show is because I do have seven books out, best-selling books. Um, one of them has won an award, so it's an award-winning book. I also have a um, YouTube channel called Bible Stories for Adults. And again, that's come out of the trial that we'll talk about in a little while. Yeah. Um, and that has, it's getting closer now. I usually say, you know, half a million viewers, but it's getting close to a million wow. at this point. People watching boring old me talking about the Bible. So that's pretty amazing. <laughs> Um, yeah. And I also own a publishing company. I have a podcast and I write, um, articles for Faithfield family magazine and USA today magazine. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so you're really a content producer and, uh, I guess yeah. we'll talk about all of the things that, that you're doing, um, including your latest, which I noticed is, uh, is a book about God's love for the LGBTQI. 
Yes, for the LGBT community, exactly. And as many, whenever the letters change, I just let everybody know um, they can't change the letters for that acronym anymore because I've already put the book out. (laughs) So that is the defining moment. Did you notice? (laughs) No more letters going to be added. (laughs) Did you notice my hesitation? I was like, I don't think I can get this all right now, but it's okay. Yeah. Anyway, absolutely. I loved when I saw that. I was like, that is fantastic. So we'll talk about that a little bit. We, We need... We need to be sending things out there like that. So, uh, tell us a little bit about about you. Like, where you know, did you grow up as a as a in a Christian family or not, or what was that like? No, no, actually, neither my husband nor I grew up in Christian homes. I mean, moral, good, nice homes, but they were not Christian homes. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we got we were both in the military. We met in the military. We got married. And he got stationed in Las Vegas for a TDY, uh, which is a temporary duty assignment. And his roommate in Vegas introduced him to Christ. Wow. That's he awesome. came home and said, you've got to accept Christ. And you did? And <laughs> I had grown up going to church. Even though I didn't live in a Christian home, um, my parents knew that there was free babysitting for us five <laughs> children down yes. the road at church if they gave us each a quarter for the offering plate and a quarter to get a piece of candy on the way home. So we went to Sunday school and we went to VBS every summer all growing up and loved it and always felt at home in the church and went to different churches, you know, Methodist, Catholic, um, Christian, you know, non-denominational, all kinds of stuff. And just, you know, the basic, you know, Christian um, denominations. So when he came home saying that, I just kind of looked at him and said, I know who Christ is and I'm not good enough. So no. Oh, wow. Okay. What happened then? And it took three days of him. Well, it took three days of him really kind of, you know, no, you know, I'm going to be in heaven. I want you to be in heaven too. I'm going to be in heaven. I want you to be in heaven too. You have to accept him. And I was just like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And after three days, finally, I just, you know, kind of turned to God and just said, you know, Jesus, I know who you are and I know I'm not worthy. Wow. But if you'll take me, I will give my life to you. Oh, that's amazing. Well, why did you, yeah. so that's interesting. So did that come from your church growing up that you were, you went to that you just weren't worthy or where where'd that come from? Um, we moved around a lot. So it was a lot of different churches that okay. we went to. We moved about every two, three years. I, it wasn't anything that the church was teaching me I was bad or something like that. It's just that I knew how good he was and I knew, mm. you know, I shouldn't lie and I, you know, I shouldn't, you know, steal a pen from the bank or what, you know, whatever it was that I was doing that I felt my sin on me. And I knew I was not where I needed to be, to be a child of his in my eyes. And so it was a matter of coming to him and realizing I didn't have to be that, that if he was going to take me as I was, that I was going to be his child. Right. Right. Oh, that's so powerful. That's really, that, I mean, that's it really is, right? That's the gospel in a nutshell. <laughs> it is. Yeah, you're right. That's right. Uh, we're, we're not good enough. And that's interesting that you had to wrestle with that. Okay. So how did, when, once you guys became believers, what did you do to grow? Were you still, were you still moving around or did you find a church or what happened? Um, we visited a church where we were and it was, it was nice, but it was not our style at all. Like we were like, that was great to go to and wish we could find a church that we felt comfortable in, but that one was not it. Um, and so we didn't find one and then we moved and then we had children and I think it was probably about eight months into our oldest child being born when we first realized, you know, we need to be in a church. We need to be growing. And we started going to a church. Uh, it was a mega church. It was great for new believers, you know, very seeker friendly. And, um, 
and made some wonderful friendships that we're still friends with to this day, you know, 20 some years later. And then eventually looked for a church that was a little more meaty, that was a little more, you know, sure. in the word, um, verse by verse, expository teaching and have just grown ever since. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I actually used to be really critical of churches who, who weren't like that. And I've realized that actually not every church has to be everything to all people, you know? So yes. There, there are some that it's important that it's a good place for you as a new believer to kind of start that faith out and give you some good practices, but then you can outgrow it and you can go elsewhere and that's okay. It is. Nobody can be everything to every person. <laughs> right. Even, even a big church. So like, I'm, I'm just curious about your relationship with God during that time and how that, you know, how that matured, how it developed, if you discovered any practices or the reverses or Bible studies or something that really kind of shaped you and, and how you understood him or yourself in light of him. Well, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, <laughs> probably three, four years into um, uh, into becoming a believer, we had started going to uh, you know a better church, um, not a better church, but you know a deeper church uh, where we were learning a lot more. And one day, and and we had started Bible study at the first church we had gone to, the mega church. So we had Bibles. My husband had bought us each a Bible so that we could, you know, go to a, a Bible study or life group or whatever, and you know, could look up the, the scriptures and stuff like that. Well, <laughs> we had gone past that. We were at a, a deeper church, that sort of thing. But we were still, you know, learning. We were still babies. And one day, I, you know, I started reading my Bible. I started reading it at home like not in church and not in a Bible study. Oh yeah. But I wasn't really talking about it with my husband because I thought, you know, if he finds out that I'm like reading my Bible, like not at church times, he's going to be like, Oh my gosh, she's gone off the deep end. She's, you know, going to, you know, I don't know, make her own denim jumper and start running around <laughs> handing people Bibles. I don't know. Right. I don't know what I thought he was going to think. So I was reading my Bible, even on a Saturday by myself in my bedroom. And I had the door shut. It was like he was out, you know, in the front room watching TV or something. And I just went in the, do in the bedroom, shut the door and was reading my Bible and praying. And in the middle of that, all of a sudden I got thirsty and decided to get a drink of water. So I go out of the room, go through the front room and, and cross to the kitchen. And as I cross um, the front room, I see him sitting on the couch reading his Bible. Oh, wow. And I'm thinking, we are idiots. <laughs> Could you have two more dingy people in this world who are both studying the Bible and both kind of like, but I don't want the other one to know because they're going to think I've become this crazy Bible thumper person when in fact we were both just growing. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. That is amazing. That's, thanks for sharing that story. That's so great. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's interesting as uh, I heard, I just, uh, had, we just had a story a couple weeks ago about another guy who was like reading the Bible on his own. And like hiding it from his wife, like, and she, she would thought he was looking at pornography or something. He was actually stuffing his Bible between the, you know, it's like, what? Like, it's crazy. It's interesting that that's kind of the reaction, you know, you're not the only one. Um, okay. So, well, that's, well, that's cool. I love that story. So, so you guys were definitely, you were growing, you were, you were getting deeper. Tell us a little more about your, your life. And then I know that uh, you eventually had this sort of, dark night season. And I want to get to that in just a second, but to kind of bridge the gap up to there. Well, of course we became, you know, much more on fire, definitely felt, you know, the Holy spirit was really working in us and we just couldn't get enough. Um, and then we started, you know, witnessing to our families and our, all of our families started to come to Christ. I mean, little by little piece by piece, I'm, I'm the oldest of five 
and um, all of my siblings except for one had come to Christ. And then um, eventually my dad came and um, my husband's parents came to Christ. They saw what was happening in our lives. They came when they came to visit us. We you know we take them to church with us. They saw a change and a different thing than they had ever seen. And they came to Christ and then they became missionaries and they started traveling, you know, once or twice a year to Brazil, to the Amazon, to Colombia and witnessing to people who had never heard Christ. Wow. That's awesome. So just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so are you an evangelist or is it just your family? I just, I don't, I don't know that any of us would be characterized as any of those things only because we wouldn't put those kind of labels on ourselves. We're just Christians and this is what Christians do. Sure. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) There are giftings though. So I was wondering if that was one of, you qualify that as one of yours. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) Okay. Good, good question. Good, good thing to ponder, I guess. Okay. You know, we, we were going along, you know, life was normal and happy and, and, you know, of course, everybody has ups and downs and bumps, but, you know, we're raising our kids and um, and we really felt like our mission field was being uh, foster parents. And so we took in, you know, a number of foster children and we always um, told the, the agencies, you know, we want the, the children who are the hardest to place. Give us the children mm-hmm. you don't have other homes for, because that's what we feel our ministry is, is that we're you know, we're going to fall in love with them. We're going to want to keep them, of course, but that's not our job. Our job is to keep them safe and to um, provide, you know, provide them with love and safety while they're with us and give them an example of what a family and a home and safety looks like. And then to witness to the social workers we work with and to the families that are, are the families of these children. Yeah. And um, so that became a, that became our mission field. It was just amazing. It, we felt like we were missionaries on a, on a very dangerous mission field because, we were very vocal in our faith. And then um, because of that, because we were foster parents and because we invited people into our lives, um, we put ourselves in a dangerous situation and our youngest child was abducted four years ago. And that changed everything. Yeah, I can imagine that it would. Um, which, you know, as a parent, that is the like the last thing you ever want to even think about. Um, how, yes. Yeah. Right. So um, I know we're not going to go into all the details of, of what happened, but tell me like what was happening with you when, when you realized that this is what's happened, your, your child's gone. Well, and that's, that's exactly what I did in my, you know, the TEDx talk that I just did recently. Yeah. And that's, I just kind of take people back and let them see what it's like when you're in that, because we know we've all watched movies or, you know, seen, you know, television programs or trailers for movies where someone gets their child taken. And what they show on the TV is, you know, the mom faints or falls to the floor or whatever. And that's not what it's like. Like in that moment, you are filled with terror. And the only thing you could think of is what do I do next? Yeah. You're just, I mean, your mind is racing, your body is racing, the adrenaline, the cortisol, everything's happening, all the stress receptors in your and you are just rushing from thing to thing. What do I do next? Do I wait for the window because I don't want to move and they, somebody brings them back and I'm not here, but do I go run the street because I don't want to not find them. If I could go run the street and find them, it's like, you don't know what to do with yourself. Um, and there was no guidebook. So it was not, there was nothing to tell you what to do. Um, it's just an incredibly horrific, obviously, you know, scenario. It's that same scenario when you're 
at the grocery store with your kid and maybe they, you know, hide behind your leg and you can't find them for just a second. Only that moment never ends. Yeah. Oh, what a powerful description of it. And I can, you know, every parent's been there. They've had that moment and they can imagine it. And then, you know, you find your kid, but yeah, I can imagine that. So how, what did that do with your relationship with God? You know, so you were, you know, you you already had this kind of established faith. What did you do? Well, it's amazing because, you know, you hear that saying, um, that saying that God shows up, you know, when you're, when you can't hold yourself up, you know, he's the one who holds you up, kind of the whole footprints thing. Um, Mm -hmm. He really does. And he really did. And in that moment, he gave us a peace we could never have known. I mean, we were, you know, frantic and not knowing what to do and our bodies were going crazy, but we also had this overwhelming feeling of it's going to be okay. Just hold on, just keep going. And it's been four years and that feeling has never gone. I mean, it has always been, you know, continue with me. I'm going to take care of this. This is in my hands. I've got this. And we went from, you know, not being able to eat because the nerves were so intense. You just want to vomit all the time to being able to little by little learn how to hand things to God. And I had to do things literally. Like I had to be laying in bed, you know, my stomach's in a knot. I feel like just terror Mm. is clawing at my back. Everything, the spiritual attack, the spiritual warfare is so intense. And we know this is happening because we are believers. It was not happening because we're foster parents. It was happening because we were believers and we're vocal in our faith. And we knew it was a spiritual attack. We knew it was coming, which is kind of the freaky part. Mm, Wow. Is it that God had given us the ability to see this is coming, this is coming, and now it's happened, and I've got it, and don't you worry about it. Wow. Which didn't didn't make us not worry about it. No, but of course it not. How it did, did help us to kind of go, how you, did know, you, you have this, Lord. How did you know? You just, like, you had an intuition, or you had, like, a... a I, yeah, I, like, just, I just knew. I yeah. just knew so that when it happened, it almost was not a surprise. It was like, mm-hmm. I know this is, I mean, that's not, you know, I wasn't, you know, like, oh, okay, that's just what happened. But, you know, internally there was a spiritual part of me that was just kind of like the Holy Spirit saying, you know, tapping me on the shoulder and saying, remember, I told you this is going to happen. Wow. So just crazy that he allows that, that he allows you to know that he's got it. You know, for me, it was a matter of I'm an overthinker, so I'm going to lay in bed and I'm going to think of every scenario. I'm going to go through what they could be going through right this moment. I'm going to go through what happened in the moments before. I'm going to rehash and rehash and rehash all night and all day forever. And to be able to learn how to not do that. And part of that was laying in bed and literally taking my hands, which were balled up in fists, you know, Mm. from the stress and my whole body tightened up and reaching out my hands and letting go. And pretending like I was putting that into God's hand, like you got to take it from me. I can't do this. Yeah, yeah, I can see that being a very physical aspect of of the tension that you would yeah. feel. Wow, it's your child. I mean, any of yeah. us would give up in a heartbeat. Would trade ourselves for our children in any harmful situation. Right. Anything. Anything yes. it took. Yeah, absolutely. And you can't. Yeah, which. Which is interesting because I hear from you that you're, you know, you're having all this, all the same reactions that anybody would, but then also this sort of trust that you have to have with, with God to say, okay, I know that you're here. I know that you're going to handle it. Yes. And, uh, 
That's... I remember one time being on the floor and it's, it's amazing because this is the stuff I can't, I can't make this up and I couldn't do it on my own. But I remember one day, um, months into this sweeping the floor of the house and, um, and finally it got to the point where I couldn't hold it in anymore. Cause you, you can't cry 24 seven. You have other children and other things to do. You still have a life. Your husband still has to go to work each day. I mean, there are things that don't mm. stop because of this. Right. And, you know, cleaning the house is part of that. And I was sweeping the floor and all of a sudden I couldn't hold it back anymore. So I set the broom down, went in my room, shut the door and just sank to the floor, sobbing, just open mouth, you know, oh my gosh, sobbing. And crying out to the Lord, I remember looking at the ceiling and just saying, why, Lord, why? Our child had it good and perfect and safe. Why would you allow this? And I felt like his answer was, this was always going to happen. But I put this child with you so that they would be brave enough and strong enough and loved enough that when it happened, this would not break them. Wow. And when the sobs felt forced, I sat up, wiped my face, and went back to sweeping again. Boy, that, what an intimate moment with the Lord. Um, I tell you, he shows up. He does. He does. And he's, that's, that's just beautiful. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm just I'm letting that just sink in a little bit because it's um you know, the the reality is we a lot of us will face things that challenge our faith, that challenge us to wonder if God is good. That's yes. normal on the spiritual journey. Um you know, so whether it's it's you know, a huge thing or not, it's um you know, it's good to know that he is going to be there. Wow. Yes. Wow. So yeah, okay, that's good. The the uh <laughs> I'm I'm just I'm, I don't know even know what to ask, but it's okay. The uh cuz my mind is just goes all the, all over the place, you know. There's so much that, that you just want to know, which I know that you you experience even more. Well, and that's funny because it's it, when I was telling you, you know, there was no guidebook. That's when I started writing. Oh yeah. Is I I the next thing that happened was six months into this going on, um, I really I was passing by the computer one day and I really felt like the Lord was saying um, that I needed to write the book God's Love for LGBTQI, and I, I it wasn't like you know He was saying you know booming voice write the book. It was like I walked by the computer and just instantly the thought of there should be a book like this, and I was like yeah there should be keep on walking, you know, doing whatever it is I'm doing around the house, laundry or something. And then coming by the computer again, I wonder if there's a book like that. And then coming by the computer again, well, I should look it up and see if there's a book like that. And so I go look it up. There isn't a book like that. I'm like, oh, okay. Go about my business again. Well, somebody really famous and has a, you know, good following should write that book. And then it was like, wait a minute, somebody really famous can't write that book. (laughs) <laughs> because anything they've ever said You're right. about the LGBT community would then be used against them. And they'll, then people would not buy the book because they'd be like, well, well, 20 years ago, you said this. They'll, yeah, they'll be shredded. Right. I was like, they can't write it. It has to be written by an unknown. 
you you know what was that your first book? That was my first. I book. think I said it was recent, but I don't know why I got that impression. Sorry. That's okay. There's a lot of them. So <laughs> there are <laughs> where they come I, is you know in between all over the place. I, I um, but yeah, that that was the first one. Very cool. So you so you did that. You you wrote that book. Yeah. What what did you? Can you just give us? Because I, I looked it over just a little bit, but give us a little bit of what you said in that, like why and and what you know what kind of the heart in in that book was. Well, it's kind of funny because when I went to go send it off to publishers, you know, to agents and everything, oh my gosh, I was terrified. I literally, I had a laptop and when I was ready to push send, I flipped down the top of the laptop, pushed it away from me and said, I can't do this. I had just worked on it for months and months and months and I could not do it. I was like, Lord, I can't do it. We are already under so much stress. I can't put a target on my back with this book that combines Christianity and the LGBT community. I can't take anymore. No more spiritual attacks. And I got up, walked around, did other things, you know, prayed for about 10 minutes, felt stronger, came back and pushed send. The book itself is actually so simple. A child could have written it. <laughs> it's, it's actually just amazing Bible verses that are really carefully chosen that that people within the LGBT community are struggling with. And within the LGBT community, the suicide rate is something like 300 times higher. Um, uh, The sexual abuse rate is about the same higher. I mean, just so many things um, where the just they're going through a lot of terrible things. Um, even spousal abuse, remarkably higher. I mean, you're just talking about a community that is just inundated with abuse and hurt and, um, and suicide and just so much pain. And there was no book from a Christian perspective, from just sharing the Bible with the LGBT community that wasn't either condoning or condemning. And I needed something like that. Because I was driving down the road and I was seeing pain in people's eyes because all of a sudden we were seeing the world with a whole new set of eyes, eyes bathed in pain and we saw their pain. And I thought, you know, that's a community that I've never been a part of, but that needs to hear how much God loves them. And I can do that. Wow. Yeah. Which so is- the very first chapter starts out with like safety because of all those you know, topics that are, you know, the suicide rates and the abuse and everything. It just takes to the verses in the Bible that apply to people in general, not just specifically Christians, because that not everybody in the LGBT community is a Christian, um, that just say things like that God is our strong tower we can run to. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I love that. You know, I, I think, uh, I, I love your approach. So I'm going to go back to this because I think, Perhaps you are an evangelist, but you, uh, you know, to, to reach out to a community uh, like the LGBT community, uh, just kind of, you know, is, is not common. That's not something that most Christians are going to do, particularly if they're into politics, right? Mm-hmm. It's not not going to be a thing that uh, that that we do. We've, I think, a lot of evangelical Christianity has thought that that was the other side for the last forty years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so to do so is is really impressive. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Okay. So you wrote this first book. Now, were you always an author? Were you always a writer? No, no, not at all. I'm, I mean, you know, obviously I enjoyed English. Um, I was an English major in college before I changed over to theology as an adult. Um, mm. But no, I mean, I wasn't 
I wasn't a writer before this. This was my first foray. And I was writing this while starting my YouTube channel, which was another thing. It was one of those things where I was, you know, as a parent, in the shower is the only time you get a chance to think. Right. <laughs> so I'm in the shower. And for two years, I'm thinking there should be this YouTube channel, you know, that tells the stories of the Bible in a short, easy way, like you'd be reading a Bible story to a child at night. But it should be for adults because I, you know, all my family came to Christ and my, my husband's family came to Christ as adults. And those that did not grow up going to church have no clue mm-hmm. when the pastor's standing up there and saying, well, you know, like Joseph, they're like, who's Joseph? I don't, I don't know what that is. <laughs> right. I was like, they need to have bite-sized two to four minute videos that take you through the major stories of the Bible so that they will know what they're talking about when they go to church. Right. And so two years of this, and of course you step out of the shower and, you know, so-and-so has taken my toy and, you know, I want a snack and whatever you, whatever you were thinking in the shower is gone. Well, when this happened, um, part of how I coped with this and helping myself to hand everything to God was I literally listened to podcasts in the shower because I could not have a moment where my mind was able to wander because the first thing it wandered to is what's happening to my child. Yeah. And, you know, I was just really praying about that, you know, Lord, what would you want me to do? And, um, that, and so I had this, you know, where I was finally calling out to the Lord going, okay, Lord, you have allowed this pain. You could have stopped it. You could have not let this happen. You have allowed it. What is it that you want us to do with it? Because if you'll tell me I'll do it and then you can bring my child home. Right. And I felt like this was one of the things it was brought right back to mind, which was, you know, doing the YouTube channel, Bible stories for adults. So I didn't know how to use YouTube other than to look up stuff. I had to learn how to use YouTube, how to record video, how to not sound like a crazy person on there because I was shaking and nervous and, you know, practically hyperventilating during my first one (laughs) and learned all of that and ended up doing over 110 videos, walking people through the Bible. Wow. Are you still doing those? Um, they're all done, but I'm actually, you know, redoing slowly little by little with, you know, better you know, sure. photography and better pictures and stuff like that. And I do add things to that, um, every, you know, so often when things happen, wow. but I mean, I started that not telling anybody. I was like, I don't want to tell anybody about this. I mean, if nobody watches Lord, I was still obedient, right? but I don't want to tell people, Hey, it's already a YouTube channel and I got five viewers. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, that's part of the creator's okay. journey too, right? There's, there's something about, you know, you first do something and it's really nerve wracking to let people in on it because yes. it's really a piece of your heart. It's a piece of you that you've taken and crafted and put it out there. And, and it's uh, your face, yeah. you know, like your podcast or like anything else. It's like, I'm putting myself out there. I would rather do this with like sock puppets and be like, just listen to the sock puppets tell right. the story. But I didn't think adults would watch that. So I had to put myself out there and it became, you know, that going from, oh my gosh, well, I was in bed last night and I checked in the morning, 10 people watched my video Yeah. to eventually a thousand people watch the video wow. to eventually 10,000 people watch the video and now close to a million. Now a million. Yeah, that's great. Isn't it interesting how God uses that? So he used kind of the, a way to channel your energy during the hardest time of your life to reach a million people. Yes. I mean, it's almost like, and I, I put this in one of my books. It's almost like, um, like a cartoon you'd see in, in a newspaper where Satan's like, ha ha ha. I've ruined this family. I've destroyed them. I've taken everything from them. They will be no use to you whatsoever. 
and God's just sitting up in heaven, you know, in a cartoon cloud with his hand over his face laughing, going, no, actually you just cleared out every distraction. Right. Wow. He's good like that. <laughs> he is good He's, like that. And he has a sense of humor. Seems to be his way. Yeah. Somebody said to me today that there is no resurrection without death, you know, without yes. going through it. And uh, that's, that's what he's done. Wow. Okay. So you started writing, you started YouTubing. Mm-hmm. What's your faith? What's happening with your faith during, during that time? Like you're, you're trusting God. You're, you're obviously crying out to him, which is right and normal, right? Mm-hmm. What, what else is, what else is going on there? Well, I think it's interesting that, you know, I thought I had this strong and wonderful relationship with Christ beforehand, but it's mm. nothing compared to what I have now. And from what, from what we have, it's nothing compared to what we had as we were going through this, um, as we continue to go through it. But in the beginning, especially where we were just, I mean, I had to depend on him for everything. I mean, breathing hurt. Yeah. And to be able to say, Lord, you have to get me through one more day. You have to hold me. Tell me again, Lord, it's going to be okay. Tell me again. And literally to have, I mean, you know, as a believer, you know, we don't call each other and say, hey, God just told me to tell you, you know, we don't really do that unless we really know God has told us to tell somebody something and it has to be very apparent. And you definitely would not tell that to somebody who has a missing child. Um, About two years into this, I remember one day just at night before I went to bed, just calling out to him and going, Lord, I thought I had heard you. I think, you know, that I understand what you're doing, but is there any chance we have heard you wrong and that you've been trying to tell us to let go and our child is not coming home? Is there any chance that we have not heard you or that we're unwilling to hear you on that? If there is, I need you to tell me, I need you to hit me with a two by four and say, no, I told you they're not coming home because right now, Everything I'm getting from you is my child is coming home and that I'm supposed to keep waiting and hoping and that you're going to do this. So if I'm wrong, you have to tell me, please, I don't want to be doing anything outside of your will. And I went to bed that night and the next morning I woke up and a missionary friend of mine in Greece had sent me an email and the email said, Hey, I just wanted to let you know, Marie, that I've been praying for you guys. And I really felt like God wanted me to tell you to keep going and that your child is coming home. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. God spoke to you for, through, through them and just confirmed everything you were already feeling through yeah. them. So that, I mean, that must have tremendous meaning. And he doesn't do it infrequently, which has been awesome because uh, Could we continue doing what we're doing and hoping for our child's return um, if he hadn't been all along the way uh, doing the things like that? You know, only he knows. But in this scenario, he has literally every couple of months, we have known some piece of information that we needed to know to keep going. Wow. I mean, some piece of information where information has been snuck to us or things like that, knowing that our child is okay. And knowing that if we just keep on holding on, they will be home. Yeah. I think it, just as a spiritual experience, that's really powerful. I mean, obviously as, it a, is. As, a, as a parent, it's hard, but it's, it's powerful to know, like I, I can just imagine some of our friends listening are going through hard times, right? And yes. need to, need to just 
wondering if they can trust God, you know? And no one's hard time is worse than somebody else's. No, of course not. I would never, in, in my a million years, I would never cha- trade places with somebody with whose child's going through cancer. Mm-mm, nope, I'll take mine. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And we all feel like that. Nobody wants to toss their problems into the pile and pick out somebody else's. Right, right. Well, so what are some things that you've learned through this that are really actually helpful to people in crisis or in the, in these kind of moments that other people might want to, you know, might be helpful for us to know. Well, one of the things I definitely want to share is that you don't, we all have a tendency to marinate on things. We need to hand them to God and let go. And that is extremely difficult, but it's a daily, when he talks about dying to yourself, that's what it is. It's the daily handing it to him, handing it to him again, handing it to him again. Oh, I picked it up again, giving it to you again. That is really hard. And if you're a problem solver, it's even harder because you want to sit there and problem solve and problem solve and problem solve. And sometimes the answer is you get on your knees and you pray and that is the battle that you fight. So that is definitely number one. Yeah. Okay. Pray. Second, the thing that helped me was I had... I'm a crafty person, so I would make, you know, like towels with like Bible verses that I would put on them and things like that, um, or sticky notes I'd put up or or um, postcards that I would put up with Bible verses on them all over my house. So on my bathroom walls or sticky notes or on the mirror or in the car, because you never know when I, there have been times I've walked from one room to another and I walk in the kitchen and I see a towel that says um, the rains are almost over. The season of singing has come. And all of a sudden just go, one day I will be able to say that. And so it's constantly encouraging yourself in the word by having it visible in places you don't even think you're going to need it, but you're going to need it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to give yourself a a bit of vision, don't you? You too. Because you forget. We're very forgetful people. Yeah. Which, you know what? I actually think that's... Sometimes we, we talk about that as if uh, as if it's a bad thing. I think God knows that, and that's why he put in so much, or he's given us so many ways to remind ourselves that he's good, right? That yes. He's, that he's present. Um, you know, you look at the way that Moses was instructed to con- to construct the calendar for the, for the Jews, right? There's, I mean, it's all year. Reminder of this, reminder of that, reminder of the Passover, Reminder of at harvest that God is the one who provides all this stuff, you know, like all of that. Um, yes. He's, he, and sometimes I, you know, I've heard and I've spoken as if that that's a bad thing, but I really think God made us that way, you know? Well, it is a good thing. You're right. Because otherwise we'd be looking at our sin all the time and we'd just be overwhelmed. Because right. on those days where we see it, it, it's really hard. Yeah. Well, I think it's part of the relationship. You know, is, is remembering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, and you have to constantly, um, part of the advice I give in, in one of my books in Strength for Parents of Missing Children is to go on a laughter diet. You have to, when you're going through something tough, you have to be able to um, increase the stores of uh, endorphins that you have in your body. And the way you can do that is through exercising, through going for a walk each day, uh, getting sunlight, and you can go on a laughter diet. You watch, you know, 
comedy, you watch, um, wow. comedians doing standup, you do that sort of thing. And you have to put yourself on that diet like every day for several months to get your endorphins up so that you can continue to be in a good place mentally. Yeah. That's an interesting thought to, to think about how can I actually produce the things in my body that will make me feel better Yeah, to be able to keep going. Wow. And eating a banana a day would be the last thing I would say. Eat a banana a day because um, bananas are the king of mood-boosting superfoods. And they can actually help you if you're going through something really tough and you feel very depressed. Oh, that's good to know. So, yeah. That's good. Wow. So, is it is it hard to watch comedy in the middle of stuff like that? No, actually, it, it really? isn't. Um in the middle of our going through this, the movie, the war horse or whatever came out. And my husband was like, let's go see it. And I was like, or the play or something. And I was like, I can't go see that. I was like, I cannot just watching the trailer makes me want to break into. And just because sad things, um, can take you over the edge. And it's not like, you know, you're going to watch it and you're going to commit suicide. I'm not saying that. I'm just sure. saying like, you're going to watch it. And that part of you, that dam that's holding back all the crying that you want to do 24 seven will break. Yeah. And there are times for that. There are times when you go, I need to watch something that makes me cry. Cause I just need to let it go today. But most of the time when you're going through something tough, you need things to distract your mind because your mind is always stuck on sad. Okay. So you eventually, so you started, you mentioned it a minute ago, you you wrote a handbook, a guidebook for parents of missing children. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've written a bunch of other books. So this kind of sent you, <laughs> sent you on a journey of, of writing and like, what is that? Um, I mean, I don't know. How is God, how is God using that to kind of heal you? Well, it was kind of neat because people ask all the time, they're like, Oh, when you wrote strength for parents and missing children, was it, was that really, you know, therapeutic? And I'm like, no, it was yeah. not. <laughs> Because in order to write it, I had to write the guidebook we would have wanted from day one, which meant I had to go mentally back and go, okay, on day one, what did I need to hear? And that meant reliving every piece of it. You know, in month two, what would I have needed? In year, you know, one, what would I needed? Um, so that I could walk other people through it. And it also meant what I couldn't put in the book. People that have not gone through it, that have read it, they love it, but they're like, I wish you would have put more detail. I'm like, but for someone living it, you can't do that. Right. So it's very specifically tailored to helping people get through anything where they don't have their children. I thought I was writing it for families like ours. It turns out I was also writing it for families who are divorced and mom's keeping the kids from dad or dad's keeping the kids from mom mm. or mom or dad, you know, they get divorced and takes the kids overseas and file something over there so that the other parent can never see them again. And there's no abuse, nothing. It's innocent parents going through this. Um, parents who have a child who gets cancer and go into to the doctor, they say they have cancer. We want to go ahead and start chemo. And the parents say, well, I have to get a second opinion. And they call social services and they come take their kid. Wow. I mean, all of a sudden, yeah. I'm finding out about parents and groups I had no idea existed that needed someone to walk them through how do we survive. Yeah. And, and you, you wrote the book. And so I wrote that book. Yes. Um, that was book number five, I think. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I was sending out, um, God's love for LGBTQI, um, to agents. So I was waiting. I decided to write, um, 10 day Bible study 
And so I wrote that and um, ended up self-publishing that one just to have something because I wanted to put it out there. I felt like God wanted me to have it out there. I put it out there. It ended up getting translated into modern Greek and being used by missionaries in Greece also. That's cool. So, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that idea of shorter Bible studies to kind of help yes. help people. <laughs> I, I've never finished a 40-day Bible study in my life. <laughs> and I have a seminary degree, Marie. I, I have an MDiv, oh my goodness. but I can't do like a big, you know, one of those big studies. <laughs> it's quirk. It's, it's a quirk. I have. Oh my gosh. Anyway. Well, no, I mean, we're in a different world now too. We are. Yeah. Our attention spans are getting shorter and the Bible is no less relevant. And that's, that's the important part. Wow. Okay. Is there anything else that you want to share with us? I guess I can think of, I guess just letting people know that, um, that they can reach out and we can connect. Okay. We can, um, they can come find me at mariewhiteauthor.com. And if they come visit there, they can actually get a free copy of one of my books. I have a book on there called Changing Your Life in Just 10 Days that they can get for free. So they can hop on there and get a free book and just connect. I'd love to hear their stories. Yeah, perfect. Marie, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. Thanks for having me on, Eric. I appreciate it. I love what you're doing. It's been been fun to connect with you. 